you know, Steve Jobs couldn't build Apple without, you know, the thousand people that worked there with him. Um, he just took all the, he just got all the credit. I don't know if he took all the credit, but he got all the credit. Um, you know, but, but he approved the designs. He didn't make the designs. Um, he, you know, he, he influenced the design. He pushed people to be their best, which is great. But there's other people involved in that story that we'll never know. Um, and, and because of that, we don't, uh, we don't allow people to, to feel proud in those positions where they're making a huge impact uh but maybe they're not the one who gets all of the credit so we consolidate all of the credit and all of the money at the top um and and that's what everyone is striving for so everyone wants to be this egomaniac leader who gets everything all the money all the credit um but yet it takes it takes an army to actually achieve that and and so i don't know you know i i don't have any answers but i do think the way that we tell stories um, is important and, and the way that we we communicate what's happening um, and giving a different voice to that, that's important. Um, and stories are the only way that we could ever change it. listening to Live the Questions, brought to you by Chartsby. I'm your host, Akash Sharma. So the effort behind the show, the, the, it is an attempt to document how some people court challenges with persistence again and again. It's about how their struggles have led them where they are and how they think about life and work. There are no hacks no tactics, those lives and their riches, their questions, their discoveries. It's an effort to provide a window onto our own struggles and hence trigger an inquiry towards betterment. Today's guest is Michael Saka. Michael Saka is a prolific prospector of stories. He co-hosts the ever-insightful business podcast called Rocketship.fm. He also hosts two other podcasts called Makers and Studio at Crew, and he runs sales and partnerships at Crew as well. He has co-founded multiple companies, including Brandesty, a tool that lets brands manage their brand assets. And uh, we have Michael with us to talk about his amazing journey. Our choices chart unique trajectories, driven by an equally unique collaboration of burning ambition, effort, and luck. From being in the ruins of the music industry in the early 2000s, Michael Zaka's choices have led him in unusual directions, and he has traveled with a backpack full of stories, grounding in business, and a ton of hope. In this episode, Michael lets us in on his journey and talks about bootlegging music tapes in Albany, New York, his uh, transition to the tech world, life resets, telling stories, creative expression, what's inherently wrong with the world that we live in, and of course, the importance of questioning everything. Let's get on with the show. Hello there, Michael. Welcome to the show. Hello. 
Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, okay, glad, glad, glad for you to uh, come here as well. Starting off, let's uh, hit the time machine and uh, head to 2008. I know things aren't linear in, in the way they work, but uh, if you could tell us things about 2008 that have somehow led to where you are now, that'll be a great start. Why did you pick 2008? Why did I pick 2008? Well, I'm just curious. <laughs> I, I, I read a post from you that okay. was probably written in 2012. And uh, I, I thought that, okay, and you, I, I remember you referencing five years or six years there. And, yeah. Uh, no, it's a, a good year. I was just curious. You nailed it. So you cool. did your research. Uh, um, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> so... 2008. Um, so right around that time, I had been waiting tables. Um, I guess in 2008, I was in my mid-20s. We could leave it there. And then um, I was waiting tables. I had been waiting tables in L.A. for probably five or six years and trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. Um, I had gotten a degree in music. Uh, music business. So I moved out to LA to try to get in the industry and it didn't work. Um, no one actually cares if you have a music industry <laughs> degree who's in the music industry. <laughs> so I, I did what most actors do and, and I waited tables. And then I finally, um, my, my roommate, he taught himself PHP. And at the time he was working at a company where he could go in for half the day. He'd wake up around noon. Uh -huh. He'd be home around four. Um, and, and he got paid, you know, a really good salary just because they couldn't fire him because he had built some software. They depended on it. And that was it. Okay. And he lived this like what I, I looked up to kind of like the amount of control that he had in his life. Uh -huh. Um, and so I, I, we started working together on a couple of projects. He started teaching me some CSS. And then one day I just decided I was going to quit. And then quit the restaurant and, um, and figure it out. And right. so that's, that was right around 2007, 2008. I don't know the exact, okay. uh, the exact date. But yeah, so um, that I quit and I started freelancing that month. Um, but I couldn't make enough to actually live in LA and afford my rent. So I moved to Las Vegas that same month uh, to, to get a lower rent and, okay. and try to, to make it work. And I did though, I paid, I paid my rent in Los Angeles or in, um, in Las Vegas that first month off of freelance contract work uh, for credit repair companies. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Let's go back a little. What okay. got you in the music in the first place? Oh, into music. Um, I guess, I mean, I had always played music. And then in high school, I was, uh, you know, in experimental noise bands and like just really terrible stuff. Um, but I, I always had a passion for it. And I always collected records. I had like, I don't even know how many CDs I had to throw them out. <laughs> When I had at some point, but yeah, I had I had a large vinyl collection. Um, it was just something I always did. Mm -hmm. And in school, it's it seemed to make sense than rather being a musician and being broke to go into the business side. 
Oh. Uh, that's why I pursued it. Uh, but I went to college in 2000, uh-huh. which is when Napster started. Uh-huh. So as soon as I got into the music business program, the entire industry fell apart. Right. That's that's that, okay. That's that's something. So yeah. <laughs> so what was your favorite band uh, from the nineties? Say yeah, from the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> so um, grow in like the early nineties, like ninety two, ninety three. I was a huge Smashing Pumpkins fan, and I would collect the bootleg tapes. Um, so I I was. On, on the web, I had a site, and we I was part of this tape trading uh, community where I owned hundreds of live concerts. Oh, I almost owned okay. like every one that was available um, on on tape and so and then what we would do is we would copy the tapes and okay. send them to each other and trade for more shows uh, okay. um, Now all the shows sounded the same in the end, but it was just the, it was like an obsessive collecting. Okay. Um, and so I did that, you know, for till I went to college almost was was trading tapes. And um, so that that was that was where I got like kind of my my first, I guess, pop group that I was I was obsessed with in the 90s, um, starting in middle school. Yeah. <laughs> OK, so it was a community and a cartel. Uh, would you agree? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty damn close. <laughs> OK. So you look at this person who's who's living with you, and uh, you decide to move into this industry, the technology side of things. Were people in 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 say the close group of people who you called friends or family members, were there people who were surprised by the call that you took at going into the technology world? I don't think so. Only because I had I had been kind of tinkering with computers for a long time, okay. um, and I think like not to say that there's anything wrong with waiting tables, uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. but I think uh, there was an expectation that I would eventually get a real job, uh-huh. and and technology there was the possibility at least for uh-huh. getting a real job. Not that that's really happened, but. Um, you know, there there was at least the potential that there's an industry there. There's these big companies that we have heard of. Right. Um, so then maybe you'd get into um, getting a real job after you know paying for college and doing all of that. So, right. right. Yeah. So I, no, I don't think they were they were too surprised. Um, okay. Okay. But I did run my own agency, so I never actually got a job, and I ran my own agency for five years, and I think that started to could not concern them, but they were kind of they didn't quite know what to think um because there was no company behind what i did you know <laughs> right 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 so, wh- wh- why didn't you uh, take up a job i tried they wouldn't hire me okay, okay. I, I applied to Vegas, <laughs> like every place i could and no one would hire me so i i finally just said all right screw it i'm just gonna I, i'm gonna uh, do I'll, it anyway on my own right right so and it worked and like i i actually consulted with some of the companies out here of uh like years later um uh it was some of the companies that that didn't hire me at the time so that that was that felt good Mm, right so the city in which you traded tapes and uh, the city in which you've been working over the last few years and uh, the city where you decided to move how do you look at both these cities as in terms of 
being important to you? How do you look at oh, that? Oh, yeah. So Albany, New York was where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, not, <laughs> not my favorite place. Okay. okay. There's not a lot going on in, in Albany, New York. Um, Tell and me so, why? why? Um, I feel like it's just kind of hit. Not like hit hard times, uh, but it, like they're just starting now to have a bit of a tech scene. Not like a tech scene, but a um, manufacturing scene. Okay. So okay. there's some good jobs coming in, but it took a really long time. Um, and a lot of the people that I grew up with ended up moving down to the city or somewhere else to find opportunity. Uh, so I don't know. I, I don't – I go back every couple of years, but um, – but yeah, so uh, Albany's okay, uh, but I, I can't say I have like a, I don't know a fond okay. connection. like connection to to it. I I kind of just screwed mm-hmm. around the time I was there and got into trouble. <laughs> um, so <laughs> okay. and then uh, I moved around a bit, and then um, I, I guess L.A. you know would be the next major spot that I stopped, and uh-huh. um, you know L.A. is great. Um, but LA is hard. It's just a hard life to, to be there. Okay. We used to drive like, it was like a 15 minute drive, but it would take us about an hour and 15 minutes in the morning. Uh, and I would have to do like the breakfast shift. Uh, so I would have to be there around six fifteen, which means I'd have to leave the house around five. I'd have to wake up around four. Um, th- that, and then you're only going like 15 minutes down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was just such a mental kind of, you know, there was there was just a it was very stressful and not having any money, it's not a, it's not um, a lot of fun to be there. Um, so yeah. I, I, it was a very frustrating time. Um, although I had a lot of fun too, and I, I've met a lot of amazing people that I still stay in touch with. Right. Um, but on a personal level, I, I was always very kind of frustrated. Hmm. And then. Um, Vegas, which is where we are today, um, is kind of it's been kind of our reset point for my wife and I. Okay. So we we come back here whenever we um, needed a little extra help. My wife's family is here. Uh, whenever we're just kind of like burnt out and and want to just reset, be around family. This is where we come. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's a good place. There's there's not a ton happening. You know, you have Tony Shea, you have Zappos. Um, but outside of that scene, um, it's very much like you're on the strip, which is not my scene at all. Um, and then you're kind of in the middle of wherever, uh, which is which is where I live. So it's kind of quiet um, and it, it's which is good. And but we are applying to go to Canada. And so okay. that's our next, hopefully our next stop. Okay, uh, that's because crew is there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, uh, that that's that's interesting, right? The, you said reset. So yeah. it's 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 is it is it a way of thinking? Because uh, I, I as an I I live I don't know two thousand two thousand odd kilometers away from, from my family to the place where I am right now, mm-hmm. and uh, you get to talk to them every day. Yes, that that's there. But uh, you only get to be there once in a while, so that's maybe three or four months at times. Yeah. So, what do you think it is? Uh, 
how how often do you do it? This this uh, reset, the reset. As, a, as, as in, do you think there's there's like a, a routine that you make sure that you go there uh, every few weeks or months, or it's just? Oh no. no, no, it's more of like a life reset. So, and it's not necessarily like like oh we got to get to Vegas because everything will be okay. Right. Um, but it it's kind of like when when we just you know like we when we were leaving L.A. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we were under a ton of, of burden of bills. Um, you know, our, our work didn't pay us enough to live. Um, and, and so while we, you know, enjoyed our time together, we were under a lot of stress. And when we came to Vegas, a lot of that just like life stress was lifted just because it's, it's less expensive to live here. And you can get around easily. You can, you know, you, it's a, it's an easier life. Um, it's not necessarily what we want to do long term, Mm -hmm. but we come here to kind of rebalance and refocus. So when we came to Vegas is when I first started, um, you know, I switched careers and I first started working and I was able to do that because our bills were much lower. It took a lot of that stress away. We could live right near family, you know, so we had that kind of like positive influence in our life. And and so it was we were here for like three years and and that was enough for me to get um an agency off the ground and so then i i could pay my own bills so we went down to True. san diego in between okay. uh we did that for a bit until we burnt out um and then we ended up back here so that's why we're here now but yet we're, we're looking to go to montreal okay. um and kind of start a new a new adventure right so I'm sure you've seen the new building. How is it? It, it looks it looks uh, grand in, in the pictures that the post the new yeah. office, the new crew office. Oh man, it's amazing! <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, no, it's in an old bank building, fifty foot ceilings. Uh, they put a cafe, so you you walk in the building, and uh-huh. it's it's built in the early 1900s, and it's just like ornate. <laughs> and then you walk in and then there's there's the whole cafe kind of bustling. Uh, and then they have a co-working space on either side of the cafe. And then cruise you know, headquarters, cruise offices are in the back. And so you just have like these three layers of, of busy, I guess, uh-huh. uh, of just things happening. And <laughs> so it's a really good vibe when you when you get in there. Right, good, good reason to move. Well, at least one yeah. of the reasons to be here, isn't it? <laughs> okay. Totally, yeah, yeah. Plus, uh, I mean, there's a lot of good reasons that we probably don't care about on the podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> we can talk about that later. Right, sure. So, uh, go, going back to the agency days. Now, yeah. one of the things that came out of that was a uh, bilingual learning app for toddlers. Yep. Bilingual and, child. Uh, r- bilingual child, that was the name. Was that the first project that that you started with? So yeah, that was the first project that we did outside of client work. Okay. And okay. Um, a, a gentleman had come in, and he was a iOS developer, and he had uh-huh. built a game before. Okay. And it was it was really it was a good it was a solid kind of um, interactive game. And we just started kicking around ideas about what kind of application we could we could build together because right. we. I did a lot of the design work, and then uh, the company did a lot of um, web apps. Okay. So we didn't have the capabilities of doing a native application. It was really exciting because, um, I mean, this was pretty early on. I think 
the iPad 1 was out and maybe the iPad 2 had just come out. Okay. So this is like five years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the idea of having an application on this new device was really exciting. Right. And But we wanted to do something that wasn't just a game, that was enriching. Um, I had a son on the way, um, Andres, the, the iOS developer. Uh, he, he had just had a son. So we kind of had that parent mindset. Okay. And so that's that was... Um, you know, along with some of the other guys that worked at the agency, we had we put this idea together um, of a, a language learning app for kids where we could teach them basic vocabulary. Uh-huh. And, you know, we, we weren't really sure what would happen, but we put it out um, and and it started picking up traction. Like there, there was there was a market for it of parents who wanted their two and three year olds to at least be able to hear and maybe learn to count to ten. Uh, in a foreign language. Okay, okay, that's that's so. It, it was a lot happening internal when it c- c- comes down to the ideas and also the customer development in a way. As in, you were your own customer. We really were. Yeah, yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. And Andres, um, he was born in Chile. Okay. So he was already bilingual, and and so I think you know he he wanted a similar experience for his son. Um, and part of, you know, part of his, like the emotional connection to building it was giving his son who was now born here, you know, in the States, uh-huh. uh, that, that same experience that he had, uh, growing up culturally, you know, so. Right. Right. So bilingual child. And then I think you went on to do uh, tiny factory. Is that it? Yeah. So tiny factory was the agency. Um, okay. that was, that was kind of our, the full consulting agency. Right. Um, and then out of that, we built, um, Brandisty as well. And that was, a uh, application to help store brand assets for companies. True. Right. Yeah. That, that's how I first learned about you. So. Oh, okay. Place, yeah. <laughs> nice. Reading about it somewhere. That's, 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 that's how I learned about yeah, it. Yeah. That, that's when I started writing cause we needed to make money. Um, so I started writing so that we could find customers. Right. So did you? You said you played music. Did you? Did you write lyrics at all? Um, no. Okay. No. I. I. I was. Um, I think I was more into the production side. So I play guitar. I play piano, um, and I loved like textures. And uh-huh. but I always worked with a singer. Um, okay. Okay. So yeah, even in LA, I uh, I worked with a singer, and we almost we almost played a couple of big shows, but okay, yeah, 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 <laughs> things happen. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, the, the the founder of uh, StoryCorps, David Isaiah, says uh, has this thing about uh, the soul is contained in the human voice, and I. I think there's truth in that assertion. It's not that he said that, but uh, it probably came out of Borges. And mm-hmm. I, I felt that you get voice really well and uh, the stories that it can contain. So I did read about you when I read about Brandesty, but if I've uh, come to know you as a person and if I've come, come to be fascinated about the things that you do, they've outgrown as a result of the podcasts that you've done. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Rocket Ship was the first podcast that, that you did, is it? Right. Yeah, yeah, that was the, the first foray. 
Right. So, that, so you started there, and now you're doing makers and studio for yep. crew. Okay. So well, dealing with a lot of boys, what do you think it takes to just just tell the story with with, with voices? So um, it's it's hard. Um, but I also think it, it comes a little bit naturally uh-huh. uh, just through creation. So, you know, I think the music relates because music is a story um, with builds and, you know, crescendos. And um, you have all of these elements that are, are concocted to evoke an emotion, you know, be it a key that it's written in uh, or, or just the, the timeline of the music. As it comes, it, it's it's built, especially in like classical music. You have these giant builds, um, and then down into like where you can barely audible instruments, and all of that is a story by a, a conductor. And I think it's the same with with audio, where you're looking for, you know, the the hero, the uh, the their obstacle, and then how they overcame it. And, and like with makers, sometimes it's hard, you know, sometimes it's hard to get that deep when you're just, um, you know, on Skype, it's, it can be hard to get deep enough into somebody where you can actually know the real obstacle that they've overcome, but you try to feel it out. And, uh, I, I would love to do more like long form story where I actually spend more time with someone. Uh-huh. And, and be able to really figure out what makes them tick. And then also, what are they, maybe what are they running from? Or, or what, are they, what are they trying to achieve? Why are they trying to achieve it? Are answers that I wish I could, I could answer even more. But that was the idea behind Makers, um, was to try to answer some of those. Uh-huh. And so I always try to, one of my favorite things to do is uh, get another opinion on the person uh-huh. um the spouse is always a fantastic person to interview um with elliot pepper i interviewed uh his wife briefly and we have a new one coming out uh with tom uh who he was the founder of macaw and i got to speak with his wife about the early like like the decision to be an entrepreneur uh-huh. because she was right there with him right. and she was encouraging him, him to do it but yet there's there's implications on that relationship and uh, the family that we don't often hear about as entrepreneurs. You know, we hear about the the wins, uh, but we don't always hear about what's going on behind the scenes. And that's where I get really fascinated. And I think that's where a lot of the actual struggle comes from uh, that, you know, that's where a lot of the drive to make it comes from, too, to make it worth your time when you start to realize that there's other people that, you know, they want a part of that time uh, for you. And uh, so there's a lot more risk when you, when you start to put all these other factors together. True. I don't know. So I don't know the long story short. (laughs) um, it, It can be difficult to tell. 
I think an audio story because you don't get the visual. So there's other there's other techniques that you have to use to try to paint the full picture. Sure. Uh, when you you know when you interview someone on a screen, you can see their face, you can see their eyes, you can see their expressions when they're answering the question. You can see them squirm. You can see them get excited. Oftentimes, that's a little bit harder to do in an audio format. So they try to find other techniques to paint the picture, which restraints are always good. You know, restraints. You know, make you more creative, and and I think they tell a different story than you could visually. Absolutely, and I also think there's this element of uh, bias that can be brought in with the use of video. So, uh, mm-hmm. just just because of the way someone is dressed up, right? You, right. You no, know, even if they're first rate at what they do, your mind starts tricking you in a certain direction about who the person really is, and. Yeah. The thing that you're saying that, okay, you have to work hard when you're just dealing with audio is that if you work hard enough and just tip the scale on the other side, you will have something that you cannot really have with with, with, with the video. That, that's how I have uh, felt about this. Yeah, uh, I, I haven't had the chance, but I, I think that is, uh, that's been on the list for some time. If I can dig out, find out, those those recordings i think uh just just a moment i'm just trying to see if i have them noted here just just a quick moment yeah so orson welles did war of the walls on radio mm-hmm. yeah so yeah if i'm able to dig that up that is going to be something that i, I would want to go back and go back yeah to. definitely that that would never work that would have not worked uh, over video, that Absolutely. story. Absolutely. You know, there, there's right. no way they could have pulled that off and had the same effect. Back then. Yeah. It was just impossible. Just impossible. Yeah. Yeah. So No, it, it's fascinating. Yeah, go on. Sorry. It is. No, go on. <laughs> okay. Oh, no, I was, I was just going to – I think, you know, you have stories like Serial. Um, and, and there was a very personal element to that that would also wouldn't probably not have worked on TV. Uh, and I think there's there's also a we're at a point in audio storytelling where the people that we look up to, the NPRs, you know, the Ira Glass, they come from this world of it's been almost untouched for the last, you know, 10, 20 years. And and so it is a lot slower and it's a lot more earnest, whereas TV has taken the complete opposite approach with the big budget advertising um, and the sharp cuts and uh, and the, the storytelling is almost predictable on TV. And I don't think we've gotten there yet with podcasts. We will. If, if, if the money is there, we'll get there. Um, but I don't think we're there yet. And I, so I think there's still a lot of room for the human uh, – kind of soul or 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 element to still shine through right. in a podcast right. because they they can be a little bit more raw it can be and we could take a little bit more risk uh where you we don't have that on on television today maybe it'll cycle back um but everything is very calculated which i think eliminates a lot of the the actual emotional human element right so emotional human element how do you make sure that it is there in most shows that you do um 
it's uh it's not easy right but i think it's listening to the person um especially when you get to edit and taking out those parts and trying to frame them and so that's where i like with makers it, it, i at least get the opportunity i don't think i'm there yet as an artist uh-huh. but uh but that's the goal is to eventually get uh but you know, you, you have these snippets that people say, you know, you get someone to talk like this, you know, for, for 30 or 40 minutes. And there's things that I'll say that I don't even remember. But if I went back and listened to it, I could pick it out as something that was, that was earnest, you know, something that was, that was an honest thought. And, and when you start to pick those out and frame the story around those rather than the, the kind of prepared speech, uh, that's where I think you can find the human elements and start to bring them in, into the story. But it's really about finding the story. Like, what is what is the real story here? Um, you know, there, there's especially in business, it can be very boring. You make money, you don't make money. Yeah. Um, but but there's always a motivation as to why someone pursued that path, and and that's where, usually where the actual story lies. If it's not something more crazy like like Dan Martell you know, who just had a insane childhood uh, that drove him into to taking these kind of risks. So right. you, you've interviewed Dan? Yeah. Yeah. We, we talked to him right when he was selling clarity. And so, you know, he he told his his backstory um, about, you know, getting arrested and I don't know, speeding down the road with a gun and then that kind of incarceration leading to him turning his life around. Uh, but I still think uh, some of that made him a little bit more risk averse as well, okay. and maybe that's just who he is. Um, right. That he was able to pursue this kind of you know career for himself. Right, right, right. Okay, but well, that that must have been an important conversation. So one thing that I wanted to ask was, you've spoken to so many of these ruckus makers or luminaries mm-hmm. in in their own <laughs> world, right? So can you trace a conversation that fundamentally reframed how you think about something? Yeah. 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 Um, we talked to a D, uh, PNR of uh, Woo Themes and Receitful. Uh, now and Receitful he's doing now. Yeah. 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 And we talked to him right before he started Receitful. He was doing about 10 different projects. Uh-huh. There was a something beta he, but uh, this is like two years ago now, so my, okay. my memory is, is shot after having children. But um, yeah, so he, he, he had just kind of failed on his first venture after Woo Themes. Um, and, and you could tell he was, he was in kind of a, an emotional state, but he was incredibly honest about like the, the entrepreneurial journey that he had taken. And, and he was at the time even questioning it. Like, you know, is this, is this a good thing to be throwing at society? You know, at the time we were very much telling everyone, go be an entrepreneur. This is the future. This is the only way. Mm -hmm. And he was questioning a lot of that as he was struggling as, you know, in his life and, but also in, in his business to where like, he had built this incredibly successful company in in Woo Themes, right? But he could. There was no like magic that he had that he could instantly do it again. 
And um, and I think that, I mean, for me, it also made me kind of realize that these people that that we looked up to and, and the ideas, you know, he, he's achieved amazing things, but yet he can still be fragile. Uh, and he doesn't have all the answers. Even after you build a million dollar, multi-million dollar company, you don't have all the answers to what to do next. So there is no like, well, I'll just do this formula, boom, 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 and then I have another million dollar company. <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't really seem to exist at when when you're... I don't know when you're, uh, I guess, dealing with more creative arts. I, I suppose you could do that if you were in in commodities uh, and you just you know knew the commodities business. But I don't even think that's guaranteed. Sure. So um, yeah, so I, I think that helped me kind of reframe entrepreneurship uh-huh. and also realize that uh, you know a, as much as I was frustrated and struggling trying to just get something off the ground, um, someone who had done it yeah. before was still struggling and and so that this was just hard and and so that was that was like the eighth conversation we did and it was the first time I realized that I, I really wanted to tell people's stories because I felt like we had actually captured something at that moment that actually mattered and I don't even know if we've done one that that's good that was that good since because okay. um, he we just caught him at a very human um, point in his life where he felt very vulnerable. Right. So it's it's yeah. It's that uh, exactly right. That is what conversations can do to people, and mm-hmm. they're these potent tools that are relentlessly crafted by by some people and. At times, we, we we don't realize what 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 they what they can do to us. So from so that was the eighth conversation you said. <laughs> yeah, that, we've okay. done like two hundred and fifty since, but um, <laughs> that was the eighth. Right, right. So two fifty conversations, and now you're doing. Yeah. yeah, that's 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 major. And you've been doing this for four years. Um, I guess it's been. I think this is the third year. I'm like in the middle of the third year. Yeah. Okay. Right. And I think Jory was right. Jory from Crew was right when he called you the Tasmanian devil of productivity. There's (laughs) something about being prolific in there, right? Three years. And so now, how do you you make things happen so fast? And uh, is there like a schedule? And uh, <laughs> every day that you're supposed to follow the routine, or you depend on inspiration, what do you do to ship so, so much? Um, there is no like, there there's no hack, and there's things don't happen as fast as you think they happen. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's like there's a ton of work that happens that we never talk about um, that leads to like a prolific output. You know, like even with, with um, rocket ship, Uh you know, we've, we recorded, you know, twice a week. We we've interviewed over 250 people now, but we, we figured out a process, you know, and that process allowed us to, to do that to where we were only spending, you know, two hours a week. But it looks like you're doing a lot more because the perception is that there's a lot more happening. Um, I don't use 
like I, I'm pretty disciplined with my time, uh, mm. but that's just like my personality. And but I don't use like a task management system, or I actually just depend on my brain to tell me what to do and what's important. And so I, I tend to rely on that gut instinct okay. um, of of what I should be doing today. And some of that is inspiration. Like I really want to, you know, build this. Um, and that some of it is necessity. Like I need to go do sales for for crew. Uh, and and I, I kind of just prioritize that way. Some things get lost, but I figure if they're not at the front of my mind, then they're not that important. So even if they were on a task list, um, I, I don't know if that's an important I, I don't rely on that as to dictate what I do. Um, I guess, you know, if, if I forget about something and then it pops up again four weeks later, I'll take care of it then. Uh, but I don't worry about those things falling through the cracks. Um, okay. okay. It's just how I've always been. Cool. Well, that, that reminds me of uh, Susan Sontag, the writer. I remember reading one of her interviews, and that is perhaps exactly what she said. Uh, okay. <laughs> right. And I'm, I was just trying to see if I can get the link here. Yeah. I mean, she, it's. Uh, oh, yeah. Go on. Go on. Uh, yeah. So she said, I write in spurts. I write it then I have to because the pressure builds up and I feel enough confidence that something is matured. Something is matured in my head and I can write it down. But once something is really underway, I don't want to do anything else. I don't go out much of the time. I forget to eat. I sleep very little. It's mm -hmm. a very undisciplined way of working and makes me, oh, in this case, not very prolific. But I'm too interested. <laughs> but 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 I'm too interested in many other things. So I, yeah. I see that in you. So you're actually that and one level up. You're prolific as well. And then you're doing. You're interested in different things, right? So there's a reason why you do the studio podcast there's another reason why you do makers and mm -hmm. there's another reason why you do rocket ship so where where is the michael Saka train headed why 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 are you doing this what's making you do this um well i i love i i think it goes back to the music right so i've yeah. always loved creation and and so the podcasts are just a a more mature form of creation for me because I can, I can actually make money and a living uh, doing them. Uh, granted, I mean, I still, I, I, at Crew, I do business development, our partnerships and sales. So that's a whole other side um, that's not quite as creative. Although, you know, you could argue that like negotiating contracts could be a creative form of work, but um, so the 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 podcasts are really kind of an out. I think it's just an output. Um, you know, before the podcast, I was doing a ton of design work, and you know, before the design work, I was doing music, and so I, I think it, it's uh, it's just an extension of needing a creative outlet and needing a way to express and and get those ideas out of me. Because um, if I don't, I get really depressed, and I I you know. If um, and that I I don't like. So if mm -hmm. if I don't get to do something where I I'm able to express myself, uh -huh. um, then I just feel really crummy. And so I'm almost running from that feeling, uh, by staying busy 
and um, I don't know, having an outlet, I think, for, for creativity. Sometimes I wish it was even a little bit more. I would love to be able to tell actual stories, um, like, like even fiction. Um, so I, you know, if I ever have time, I would love to do a fictional podcast. And uh, I don't know. But I, but I don't know where, where it goes. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to stay this spread out between doing like business development and, and more sales functions mm -hmm. and also being able to to have a creative voice somewhere okay <laughs> yeah. yeah i would want you to do war of the worlds if you ever take a fiction <laughs> <laughs> i have an idea that's close um but okay. yeah i will see we'll see if if i ever have time i would be worried if i didn't have a grounding in in business uh, -huh. uh that like i would just end up like lost drunk in a in an alley somewhere on on an arctic trip um and so I, I think i do need that grounding of of business and i think that's why business is always um is always has been the root of, of creative endeavors versus like having music work out where you can mm -hmm. you know be uh indulgent a bit more uh, i think business keeps you a little bit less indulgent as an artist Right. And gives you different parameters. And so I'm kind of thankful for that because I, I think I would definitely go off the deep end if I was able to to solely be creative all the time. Right. Okay. So it, that is perhaps the reason why you took up uh, to study music business back then. Is it, were you thinking the same way 20 years ago, uh, 15 years ago? Yeah, I realized like um, I, I have a tendency I don't always make the best choices. <laughs> Who does? <laughs> so if, if I can figure out how to do what I want, but also make money, um, then, you know, I, I'll have a, a more, I'll be able to do more of what I want for a longer time um, rather than, you know, kind of burning out doing, you know, just the fun, just the, you know, just the, the pleasurable things like, you know, playing pop music. Uh, so, uh, you know, which is, is fun, but it, it can be a very indulgent activity writing and, and kind of concentrating on yourself all the time. Uh -huh. Um, and I, I think, I don't know if I did, but I think I realized that that probably wouldn't be a great path to pursue long-term. Okay. Okay. Right, we are, I think we are headed towards the end, and now I have a few questions that, I, that I'd like to ask you, because I think they're important, uh, and I would love to hear your thoughts on these. So, in a way, you know, that, so you, you're sort of climbing the rungs in this, uh, of, of, of the technology ladder, of at least the tech business ladder, and ear on ear, you're a different person. At the same time, you are the same person. You have the same interests as you did have 15 years ago or 20 years mm. ago, right? And you, you also talk about this uh, grounding in things, right, that, that business brings to you, right? Mm -hmm. So do you make it a point to look back on the previous year uh, or the years before? Do, do you have this routine of reflecting or do you let things be the way they are and just just go on 
it's, is there is there a method there of reflecting and improving and improvising, getting better? So when I um, I'll relate it back. Okay. Hopefully, you have a minute. You can cut it out too. But when I um, when, <laughs> when I collected music, um, and yeah. I think part of the obsession was always having something new. And so that's how I ended up with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of these concert tapes, right? And I would listen to every single one, and but it, it, they would have slight nuances in it, uh-huh. although they were largely all the same. Um, but I, I wouldn't go back and listen to the old ones. In fact, there were years where I wouldn't even listen to, an, to the album, like say it was, you know, Siamese Dream, and that was the album that they were touring with. I, I wouldn't even listen to the album. I would always be listening to the next tape. Um, and I think I've I've always done the same with life. So I, I tend not to look back. I don't know why. Um, but I, I tend not to look back and, um, I don't know, like reminisce or, or even appreciate, which is probably not a good thing, um, but appreciate the, the progress. Um, I, I constantly kind of look forward and maybe put too much pressure to, to do so, but to keep um, pushing forward and creating the, what's the next thing. Uh-huh. Um, I wish I had a better habit of, of appreciating the story uh, for myself, but I, 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 I don't, I, I can't say, I, I try not to kind of look back and um, I guess reminisce or um or think like oh that was a a nice time Mm -hmm. i don't know why (laughs) okay okay (laughs) this is kind of a miserable existence i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) okay so i know this is this is uh, something that gets uh, asked around a lot from Mm -hmm. uh, people who are somewhere so it's not that you are a different person it's just that it's the, as in people who are not there yet feel that it's easy to look back and uh, just just traverse and just take, hop on this time machine whenever you want to and go back to this particular time in, in your life and come up with something, right? So for someone who is uh, trying to contemplate, the, I'm sure your moving into technology was an important decision. And mm-hmm. you did say that, of course, we, we don't make the best choices. Keeping <laughs> keep, keeping that in mind for someone who's just starting out, a 20-year-old a, a maybe, a, and what, what would you tell this person? They have their interests, they have their obsessions, and uh, they have a drive, and they have no idea where they're going to go with this drive. So as, as someone, as, 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 as a peer from the future, what would you tell them? If you would tell them anything. Um, it's a really hard question. I mean, there's so many generic answers I could give, right? Like, just get started. Um, okay. It'll all work out, <laughs> right? Like, you know, people will show up when you need them. And all that is true. Um, but I, I think the... I, I think the question is it depends. It depends what options you have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because one of the things that we do with technology and we're incredibly disruptive with technology is we don't realize the implications of the world that we're encouraging and and the effects that that has on the world around us. Um, 
you know, when you, when you look at the, the kind of libertarian, um, uberfication of everything, uh-huh. uh, is that the right thing to be building? It's disruptive. Yeah. It makes a lot of money. Yeah. Is it the right thing though? And oftentimes when we're starting out, we, we pursue, we pursue things that either make money, um, or they, and they, things that, that could potentially hurt people. Um, and, and not on purpose, but there, there's unintended consequences to everything. And I, I think, um, you know, I've, I've struggled like with where I would fit in, um, because I, I don't always want to get involved in industries and I've struggled with tech, just the, the moral, um, implications of tech, uh, and being part of the industry, whether it's always the right thing to be doing, um, for the future and, and for the people around you, like uh, we benefit. You know, you can make a lot of a lot of money, um, yeah. but is it good for when you know fifty thousand people lose their job and and can't feed their family, and one person can now, you know, yeah. feed themselves very well? Um, is that the right thing for for humanity? And I I don't know. Like there there's so many different angles. I don't have an answer for yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, but it's something that, you know, when we push entrepreneurship and we push disruption, yeah. uh, there, there are, there are reasons why some things exist. Yeah. Yeah. And when we stop going, when we stop just following, um, when we start pursuing money and, and we don't always stop and think about the implications of our actions, yeah. it can be very dangerous. And I think it's, yeah. it's a lot easier to do when you're young. It, it's easy to, to break things. I did, you know, um, yeah, I did a lot of stupid things, but now with technology, uh, you have access to a lot more people, um, and you can do a lot more harm a lot faster. And we'd often don't think about it, especially being young. Um, when I was 20, I did horrible things. Uh, but if I, if those horrible things were able to be magnified like they are today, um, I could have done a lot more, more damage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, that, that, uh, I don't know. <laughs> True. It, it's, it's, <laughs> I don't know if that's what you're looking uh, for. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I was. You know, there's okay. you. You gotta look for hope in dark times, and it, you you could say that it isn't that dark. People are better, and there are statistics that say that life is mm-hmm. better for for most people. And you go back and say that okay, you cannot fall into a state of despair so there's there's this need for media to push certain archetypes of human beings to exist and certain others not to exist and as you said pushing entrepreneurship or pushing the uberification of Mm -hmm. uh, the world what do you think is the right thing to push is it is it is it the will to question everything? What is it? What what would you push if, if you? I had think it? it's it's amazing to question, right? It's amazing to to say, is there a better way to do this? Um, but we also, 
I mean, a lot of it, I think, comes from our, like you said, uh, it's our media, it's our, our leadership is certainly lacks uh, good uh, direction for people. And so, you know, we, we worship selfishness and we worship um, like uh, the, the self. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that leads to what we have today and, and the, the, the people um, that we write about yeah. are, are not the archetype that creates a better world. You know, it creates yeah. a selfish world. It creates a a world where, you know, we we have wealth distributed um, at the top and and the bottom, and nothing in the middle. Yeah. Um, you know, it creates a world where it's all or nothing for people, and and that only people that can um, achieve extraordinary things mm-hmm. deserve anything. And, and, you know, so if you're not the type that is going to be an entrepreneur, then you're not worth anything. And that's basically what we say in, in a lot of these stories. But yet we need, we need a full society. We need all kinds of people to make things work. Right. So, right. Um, but we don't, we don't promote that. We don't, you know, we don't give a lot of value to the employee. You know, it's all about that single person. And yet, yeah, yeah. you know, Steve Jobs couldn't build Apple without, you know, the thousand people that worked there with him. Um, he just took all the, he just got all the credit. I don't know if he took all the credit, but he got all the credit. Um, you know, but, but he approved the designs. He didn't make the designs. Um, he, you know, he, he influenced the design. He pushed people to be their best, which is great. But there's other people involved in that story that we'll never know. Um, and, and because of that, we don't, uh, we don't allow people to, to feel proud in those positions where they're making a huge impact uh but maybe they're not the one who gets all of the credit so we consolidate all of the credit and all of the money at the top um and and that's what everyone is striving for so everyone wants to be this egomaniac leader who gets everything all the money all the credit um but yet it takes it takes an army to actually achieve that and and so i don't know you know i i don't have any answers but i do think the way that we tell stories um, is important and, and the way that we, we communicate what's happening, um, and giving a different voice to that, that's important. Um, and stories are the only way that we could ever change it. Uh, because I think that's how we've gotten to where we are today. Absolutely. We like, uh, we, we like imagining, I think. Yeah, that's, that's, we, 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 We've taken quite a fancy to it over all these thousands of years. Yes. <laughs> so, and uh, few of us are obsessed. Well, that few of us are okay consuming it. But yeah, it does shape a lot of things. And mm-hmm. uh, what, what, what you're doing is uh, vested into stories a lot, especially the podcast. And uh, yeah. you are affecting how... Uh, things work out and 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 uh, changing them as well. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna go back to that conversation that you had with Adi, and I'm gonna do that right after this. Uh, it's just 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 to see. First of all, why did I miss it? And uh, <laughs> what, what, is that like minute twelve? So you probably <laughs> tuned out by then. <laughs> so I'm 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 gonna do that and. Okay. Uh, where where can people find you? Is there uh, so uh, as an 
is it all right for somebody to email you or what's yeah. what's the best what's the best way to get mr socket yeah yeah shoot me an email um okay uh if you want to just link to it in the show notes that's fine cool um and then you can find you know rocket ship is on rocketship.fm uh makers is on makers.crew.co uh, I'm on Twitter at Michael Saka, and you could read my writing on Medium at Michael Saka. Cool. Michael, keep telling stories. I'm all ears, and um, I'm looking forward to more of them. Uh, oh, even if you don't get to fiction anytime soon, <laughs> I'm still around. In the we, we could collaborate on it. We could do it together. <laughs> uh, that would be a privilege. Yeah. We'll take, we'll take that offline. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Cool. Th- thanks for doing this, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And I have a request to make. If there's someone you know, a colleague, a friend, or someone in your family, that you think would love Michael's story, irrespective of them being a Smashing Pumpkins fan, tell them about it. Tell them about your favorite parts. Tell me about your favorite parts. Tell Michael about your favorite parts. I'll be back for the show next week. Till then, keep living the questions. 